You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. In today's episode, I am speaking to a gentleman that arrived in Dubai in 2009 with only $1,000 in his pocket. 11 years later, he now operates a number of businesses from marketing, recruitment, to training, to hospitality, and a very successful online media agency, employing over 100 people and turning over millions of dollars through his Be Unique group of companies. So I'm keen to find out your backstory and how you managed to achieve what you have and what strategies that you put in place to do that. So let's welcome Dariush to the podcast today. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. First of all, Darius, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Perfect. Yes. Darius. Dariush. Hmm? Dariush. It's, it's Iranian. Dariush. should have checked first. Don't worry. Arabs say Dar- Darwish, but Dariush is a, is a Persian king. But I think in England they say Darius. Darius, Darius. yeah. Yeah. So how would you prefer I call (laughs) you? However you you want it. Darius or Darius? I know you say it with love. That's all that matters. (laughs) Okay. Because I would think Darius, but I'll say Darius. Darius is good. Darius is good. Darius is good. What are you grateful for today? Breathing. Being alive. Mm -hmm. 11 years ago, I had a major heart attack. I had a 25% chance of living and I never take a morning or an evening for granted. So it's easy to live in gratitude of life and oxygen in your lungs when you nearly lost life. So living, breathing. Take us back to before you moved to Dubai. You moved out here in 2009. That was actually only a year before I moved out here. Explain to us what led you to move to here? What were the events that resulted in you moving out to Dubai? Sure. What were your plans and your goals on on, on coming here? Ooh, where do I start? Uh, I'm Iranian born, uh, but in 1978, age 12, uh, we moved to England. We moved to England to learn to speak English mm-hmm. and the revolution started and we just stayed. So we were kind of holiday makers and we never really went back. Uh, my uncle, I lost my father when I was four, but my uncle, it was my mom's cousin, we call him my uncle, was the managing director of ICI, which is AstraZeneca, in Iran. And he was earning around $24,000 a month at that wow. time. My stepfather worked for ICI. No, really? Where? Yeah. In uh, Cheshire? In the northeast of England. Northeast, right, right. The head office was in Alderley Edge. So we spent, whilst, whilst traveling, uh, whilst on holiday, we spent uh, six months in London. And then our uncle, when the revolution started, Iranian revolution started, said, come to Manchester. And I remember arriving in Manchester and it was like beautiful rain. And I just, all I can remember is rain for the next 35 years. Mm-hmm. Never stopped raining. And it was gray and it was dark. And that's all I remember. Um, not particularly intelligent guy, not particularly educated. I'm dyslexic. Um, I was constantly bullied. Very miserable childhood. Father passed away. I was uh, 
my mom was only 19 years older than me, so she was hurting. She inflicted those pain on me, psychological pain and physical pain. So I, I wasn't that confident. And I went to school where I was bullied in England all the time, all who, the time. Who raised you? My mum. Your mum? My mum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was a kid herself. Mm-hmm. So um, there's only 19 years between us. So the pain that she was suffering as a single mum, somebody whose husband left through natural causes, she, she inflicted that pain on me. So I didn't have a good childhood. Then I went to school where I was, again, like I said, bullied all the time. I was the only coloured person non-white person at school and I never quit I never I remember never quitting I never knew what bullying was mm. because I never experienced it mm-hmm. in Iran which mm. just one of masses my teachers bullied me they called me black cherry my teachers and um, so I just decided wow, to fight back yeah it, it just won't happen now it wouldn't happen in this day no, and age I was called lots of names by my peer, peers so I learned to speak take on martial arts. I became a head boy. I tried to learn to speak English without an accent. I wasn't going to quit. I wasn't going to be beaten. But I still got bullied. But what I learned is life that you can't just give up. You just can't give up. And one of the things I learned from my mom, although it was horrendous at the time, was that although we were poor, she always made me feel that I was rich. So my internal dialogue was, uh, no problem, we got birds singing. We got... Your mom always made you feel rich. Yeah, so mm, okay. although I lived in a poor neighborhood, mm. um, we couldn't afford much. And you went to state school? No, private school, funny enough. I'll explain. My, ma- my mom married uh, somebody else, so he financially helped. He was an alcoholic, so he was, again, tormenting me because of his alcohol issue. Um thought about killing myself several times to the age of 18. I just couldn't wait to become 18 and leave. Mm. But I didn't know how to get a job. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't know how to leave school. I, again, I was dyslexic, so I was thought to be stupid, but I was very good with maths, with numbers. So I thought sales is the best way because people used to say I'm a good talker. Now I see that as an insult because I think to be a great salesperson, you need to be a better listener. So I went into sales I did well, not because I was a smart salesperson like you. You know, we've, we've chatted before as salespeople. I didn't look at angles, but mine was sheer determination, sheer drive to work my ass off to make it in life and get out of the hole I was in. Um, so I always worked the longest hours. I didn't socialize. I was into sports, so I didn't drink much because in that environment, it was like sales was an alcohol culture. After six, you go to the pub. I never did. I worked till eight. I did my prospecting after that. I hit the ground running at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Lived in Manchester. I'll drive to London and door knock at nine, eight o'clock. So I always worked hard. And and I always had this sense. I think my mom told me that it's your job to provide. So I always had this sense of providing, a sense of giving back. Um, So that's just stayed with me for good or bad. It's just stayed with me. And working hard it's just a normal thing i do it's just one of the things that i find very difficult nowadays because anything from you know um prospecting to looking for jobs everything is just touch of a button linkedin contact and instagram contact but the old days i used to drive and knock on doors so um too many people i think 
have lost the um, emphasis on working. It's just far too easy to sit behind our screens and let the internet do the connection. But it served me well. It served me well. Okay. So thank you for that. Let's go back to 2009, before you moved to Dubai. You moved here with $1,000 in your pocket. Uh, were you, you were married, you had children. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, should I explain? Explain, yeah. Explain the when events was, around sure, that. Sure, when I was 26, seven, I met, this, I met this magnificent lady, my first wife. Mm -hmm. And she was four years older than me and she was into personal development. I didn't know what personal development was. And she introduced me to Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra and um, Stephen Covey and Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I mm. couldn't believe how much I didn't know. I couldn't believe that it's every limitation I set myself is, is within. It was my, my own mindset. So the universe, God, whatever, loves me that allowed me to meet, with, meet her. Uh, we had two beautiful children, uh, 26 and 25 now extremely successful individuals and one thing I do remember because people say I'm a great dad that we just had a home of love just gave them love and nothing but love she was in a beauty business and she took me to a Michelle she took me to a, an exhibition and I was in this sales and marketing uh, I always had my own businesses when I got a bit older and I attended the exhibition I asked some unique selling questions and they didn't have any answers so what's unique about your product? It was like the boxes are nice, the packaging smells good. So wow, this is a huge opportunity to make money out of this industry. So I got into the beauty business and imported some products from America, did quite well. At the same time, people like David Lloyd Centers were aspiring, doing really well in the UK, which was out of town health clubs. So I approached Michelle, at the time she owned the beauty salon above a post office, very successful one in her city center. I said, why don't we open up a health club outside town? She said, don't think it's going to work. Didn't want to take the risk. I went and risked everything. She backed me up. We opened up a health club and I lost a fortune in the first year. But what we did do, we turned over a lot of people. A lot of people came to our business. So I said, look, I don't know anything about this industry, but if you join me, look, we've had like 10,000 people visit our outlets. If you can look after them and I can drive them because I'm a sales and marketeer, we could do really well. And after seven years, we had seven health clubs in around Manchester area, doing really well. And then um, we just grew apart. We just grew apart 2007, 2008, 2007. I beg your pardon, 2006, 2007. And we just decided to part. We sat as friends. So we turned up at the courts going through a divorce and we actually drove together. We sat next to each other. The judge said, where's the opponent? We said, oh, we are it. And he goes, are you sure you want to get divorced? I said, yeah, we just want to be friends, but we've just grown apart. And then um, she went her way. I went mine. We decided that I was going to look after the kids and our son and daughter because she wanted to come to Dubai and travel. And I said, fine. She came here, met someone, stayed in Dubai. And um, 2008, uh, and 2007, I met my second wife. Um, we, have, we had another child, 2009. And... Our business was doing okay, but one evening I had my two older children in the house and there was a knock on the door. It was about 9.30 in the evening. And I remember shouting, and somebody answered the door, somebody answered the door because I was in my shorts or something. 
and they didn't so I reluctantly put my shorts on went down the stairs opened the door and four people jumped on me at knife point and they put a knife to my neck saying we'll kill you we know and they knew where my kids um, school was my business was they've been following me so if you don't pay us something like 250,000 pounds we'll kill you all and all I recall I had a knife to my neck the guy's going cut his throat cut his throat and all I remember was my daughter was behind the door mm. I was thinking I just hope she doesn't open the door and see this because he'll scar her forever but I wasn't thinking about again my health my well-being being a salesman I said I don't carry that kind of money I'll see you tomorrow and they thought they were, I was so they were, I was so scared that I wouldn't do anything. I called the police. Within half an hour, they were arrested. Did you know this story? Yeah. They were arrested. Uh, they were so stupid. They had my address in the car, fingerprints on my doorbell. It wasn't like, you know, and, and they admitted guilt. Um, out of four people, two got arrested. They wouldn't tell the police who the other two were. So they were, they were non-cooperative. And that night, I put my kids on the plane. I sent them to Michelle. Um, in so Dubai, I, in yeah. Dubai, and I lost my kids because I feared for them. Because Got in the you car. feared those other two were still out there, and there yeah. might be some yeah, or their friends repercussion. Yeah, so um, I didn't even know if they arrested them and kept them in jail. I didn't know anything. The police didn't tell me anything. So they gave me a police escort to the house. I had a big four by four, packed it, and I had three houses in Spain. I drove from Manchester to Puerto Banús in forty-eight hours. You know, it was just shaking, my eyes open. Arrived over there, and really, I just thought, this is this is horrible. I'm, I'm in a business that I don't like. I'm doing business with people I don't like. I don't. I have staff that they don't inspire me. They don't. They, you know, it's just you about still money. You had the seven health clubs at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I made a decision. I made a decision to to sell. Didn't mm-hmm. give it a time scale. I said, this is not me. I'm going to find my happiness. And then I came back. And uh, Angela, my second wife, was in Canada, running uh, one of our franchisees in, in Canada. And I was just about to fly to see her. But I was in the gym. Uh, I used to be a semi-professional squash player. I was in the gym. I was shredded. My body was 83, 84 kilos. I'm 100 kilos now. And I had this funny pain in my neck and, and jaw. And I phoned up Michelle, my ex-wife. I said, listen, I've got this pain. She goes, whatever you do, on the way to the airport, just leave about an hour earlier, go to the to the hospital to have tests. I said, no, I'll be okay, but it was really cramping bad in my neck. So I went to the hospital and I said, you've had a major heart attack. And, um, and then they put me on morphine, which was amazing. And then they gave me a, a, a stents, stents? stents, stents. That was another amazing experience. I mean, the guy who created that, invented that, genius. Yeah, my father's had stents. But you were relatively fit and healthy by mm, the sounds of Stress, it. stress. I thought stents was when you had too much cholesterol. And... Well, I always had cholesterol because my father died aged 31 mm. out of high cholesterol. And my grandfather died 54. Mm. So I already have, I still have cholesterol. But I honestly believe stress. Uh, because when you stress, killer, your arteries close. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really stressed and unhappy. Mm-hmm because of the attack, losing my kids, mm-hmm. wasn't happy in Manchester, wasn't happy in England, never really fitted. I remember going on many uh, personal development courses and my nickname was always Lost. It's just weird, people called me Lost. So I was a lost soul. And um, funny stories, I don't know if I've said this in one of my podcasts, is that I'm lying there and the nurses come and they p- pull my trousers down. 
will pull my little blue thing up. And I'm like, what are you doing? I've had a heart attack. I said, no, we have to shave your groin because we're going to feed the, the tube that goes to your heart from your groin. Mm. I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. You know, I'm, I'm there on morphine flying on this bed. So he starts shaving me down there and getting me all prepared. And I was like, so embarrassing. And the doctor comes and says, what are you doing to the nurses? So we're shaving. him. He says, no, you can do it through his wrist. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, really? <laughs> really? You really want to kill me? Yeah. So um, what was amazing was they cut me here. They put iodine in your, in your blood so you can actually see yourself being operated on. And the speed they were putting this tube into my heart, it was incredible. I could feel it all the way here. Then it just, the feeling goes. But it was fast. You would think being so subtle and and you need you know your vein to your heart, but it was amazing. And they opened it up and they decided which ones they should open and which ones they shouldn't. And I was okay. But what I remember was when I was looking at the ceiling and it was a horrible ceiling. I was like, really, really, is this the last view of my life? Is this the last thing I'm going to look at before I go? And I decided that if I was going to live, I was going to leave England. No matter what. And I said, if I was going to live, it's going to be September the 1st, 2009. I just set a date. And I recall that all I did was cry. And it wasn't cry because uh, I was dying. I was crying because I was alone. There was nobody there. So I just decided that I was going to be with my kids no matter what happened. How come you only had $1,000 in your pocket when you had a successful chain of I was leveraged. I didn't realize how leveraged I was. The tax man came after me. I was very honest to I found a buyer I was so honest to the buyer and I told them that I was going to leave for whatever so it's too honest and you know when you're on your knees you, you don't think about strategic selling and and they paid me 10% handed the leases over and they told me get lost see if one of the other 90% sue us knowing that I was going to leave 1st of September and I didn't have the money you didn't have anything so they just screwed me sold one of their I gave one of the business to my staff sold another one paid the the taxman came after me. Got nothing. Got nothing. I was leveraged. We were expanding. Um, one of our, a couple of our um, businesses were on lease, Virgin, Virgin um, Leisure or something. They came over and took over the leases, took all my staff, took all the equipment, took everything. So I ended up with nothing. I could have stayed and sued, and, but it would have been more pain. What was the name of the health clubs? Yurveda. Yurveda after Ayurvedic treatments. So we took the A off and called it Yurveda. So the idea of the story was that it's not what you do on the outside, what you put on the skin, it's how you look after your body, what you eat, exercises that you do. So it was more like a holistic approach to health. Mm, mm. And it did very well. Very, I was in the, funny thing is, 2000 and 2007, I was in a, a program called That's Rich on Granada TV, and I was followed everywhere Um by cameramen in my houses in Spain, the cars I drove. Was that before you got held by gunpoint? Yeah, yeah. Maybe but they watched the program. Possibly, and and I recognised they were associated with one of my customers, one of my franchisees. Mm. And what had happened was the franchisee had got the money from somewhere he shouldn't have done, and they came after him, said we want our money back, and he said he's got it. <laughs> so they came to get it from me. Okay, so. You arrived in Dubai in 2009, mm -hmm. pretty much penniless. Mm -hmm. Terrible health. Terrible health. Mm -hmm. Like, how did it all happen? How did you manage to build up 
the it was worse the than, businesses that it was worse bought. it was worse than you could imagine my um, attackers uh, they didn't even serve jail time they serve house imprisonment or something that they get a tag and they have to be home at a certain time of the day I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it but while they were at home they started building websites against me anonymously Darish is this, Darish is that. It was such so much horrible stuff said that I didn't even know what websites were. So when I come here, I could strike a deal with someone as a sales because I knew I was good at sales and marketing. And the good thing is that I come from a poor background. So everything that I do, I have to be creative. Most marketeers throw money at the problem. With me, I have to be creative because there's never money. So And creativity costs nothing. So I thought it's, it's, it's an asset that I could bring him to Dubai and Dubai was booming but I will meet someone and a day or two they'll cancel I didn't know why all they did was research my name and it was like Doris is a pedophile Doris has got 10 wives the police are after him He's, it was so much so many websites against me that you know it's like some of them must have been true right and what was worse I thought I'd get over this what was worse was that my kids were consumed by it I'll come home and they go dad there's another website is that they were just like, why are they reading this about me? It's totally untrue. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't pick on anyone. So I did some research on reputation management. And I contacted the European Union Human Rights. I contacted my MPs in the UK. And I got to know a lot about reputation management online. And I realized there's millions of people being harassed online, unfairly. And now it's one of my profitable businesses because I'm a, some kind of an expert in reputation management. But at the time, it was like fighting a ghost that you couldn't... I, I contacted so many people around the world, so many hosting companies, had them removed, and they'll move again, and they move again. It was a nightmare. And all I wanted to do was provide for my kids. All I wanted to just pay the rent. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to move on, but I couldn't. Um, so it was, it was really hard really really mm. tough and I had a heart attack you know physically I wasn't up to up to it but I managed but what kept me going Zoe was the goals I remember and my, my mom and the funny thing is right I look back at my life and I think everything I did mom told me I wasn't good enough and I always thought maybe because I'm so positive and optimistic I'm, I'm like my dad I actually realized that she was always my inspiration she was my inspiration because I always wanted to prove her wrong. So instead of not resenting her and not want to be with her, I actually thought, you know what, thank you. Mm. Thank you. Maybe I didn't have a, a terrible childhood. Maybe I wasn't happy, but I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't for you knocking me and making me think that I can prove you wrong. What would you say to yourself, going back to 2009, knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself? I did say, this soon shall pass. But I didn't really believe it because he was the shit was so deep. I was so deeply in it. So for six months, my diet was two coffees and a sugar donut. You know, for six months. You know, and I used to get kicked out of hotel lobbies because I used to sit there using the free internet, not spend any money. So I'll be two or three weeks, and then the management will kick me out to another place and another place and another place. Um, so I would, I would like to show that person 2009 what 2019 was going to be like mm-hmm. because it was horrible it knocked my confidence personally 
physically, emotionally, in every possible way you could imagine. And I remember 2008, I'll go for dinner and maybe 20 people will come. 2009, nobody even rang my phone. See how I am, friends never showed up. It was tough, it was tough. When did it all start going right for you? It started going right when I got my first check. And the truth is that I didn't have a visa. I didn't have mm. a work permit. I was doing visa runs in Oman. I think for two and a half years I was doing visa mm. runs. And every time at the border they say, Are you a, a tourist? Yes. And they knew me. They see me like 18 they times. See you yeah. all the time. Um, so my first check was the most difficult because I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have the right to work in this country. And I had to get them to write a check cash. You know, and for them to have faith in somebody who's got mm-hmm. no track record, no nothing, and they invest in him to deliver. So it was easy, it's easy to get motivated when you have school fees to pay. It's easy to get motivated when you've got to pay rent or eat. It's much tougher to be motivated when you're comfortable. You know, it's, totally, totally agree yeah. with that, 100%. Yeah. I think when you've got people relying on you, you, you do, you step just up. kind of like step up to the mark. Tell us three things about yourself, Darius, that not a lot of people know. Three interesting facts about yourself. Good or bad? Both? Anything, it doesn't um, matter. I'm a fighter, but it's got to a stage in my life that I'm exhausted of fighting. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm learning how to dance more mm-hmm. and fight. This is less exhausting. Extremely honorable to the point of that I've become very sensitive to, to other people's values because I have such high expectations of my own values. And I kind of feel let down when people others don't have the same values as me. Mm-hmm. And finally, very self-critical. I Before I criticize internally, I'm always, because again, again, that's the mom thing. I'm always thinking, where have I gone wrong? What have I done wrong? And just instead of being more acceptable for who I am, that, you know, people make mistakes, people, you know, trip, you're a good person. So I would like to be happier, to be more self-accepting, and I'm not. This is a bit depressing yeah, podcast, isn't it? Not a good one. But, you know, there's, there's a positive thing to it, right? There's a positive side to everything. I'm trying to say that, yeah, maybe I'm rich now. I think you're being honest and you're yeah. being truthful and you're speaking from the heart and, and and that's okay. That's okay. You know, it's very easy to gloss over things and pretend that everything's perfect and yeah, pretend that we're... You know, I speak to, you know, yourself as a podcaster, you speak to certain people and the answers are just so, re- so rehearsed and you know how the interview is going to go rather than them kind of being vulnerable and showing aspects of themselves that, you know, they possibly don't want the world to see, you know, they just tell them the rehearsed answers. Yeah. So it's good that you've shown I don't mind truth. people can judge me for good or bad. I, re- I am who I am. Like I said, when you, when you nearly died, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And I'll give you a brief story. Like there's always an amazing miracle story to things. About seven, eight years ago, Somebody, I, I helped their business turn around. I was just, I'm a sales and marketing consultant, but now we've got nine different divisions in our company uh, and almost 100 staff. They came to me and said, look, you have a really interesting story to tell. So, oh, thank you very much. So, said, would you speak in our uh, event? 
So I've never done that before. It's a two-day event and it finishes at six o'clock. Can you have the second day five o'clock session? Which is like the dead man's uh, uh, graveyard slot. session, they yeah. call it. Like everybody wants to go home. I was like, okay. So we started, there was like 60 people in the room. When I finished, there was over 100. And instead of finishing six, we finished at nine. And people were dancing and celebrating and crying and laughing. And somebody opened up a Facebook page. Today, I have 350,000 followers on Facebook. And it's all come through me just sharing my heartfelt stories. Sharing your truth. Yeah. And, and I get every day or every couple of days, I get emails saying I've changed people's lives. And mm -hmm. I think, what other gift can God give me and be able to inspire people? Because it's not all hunky-dory. You know, even if you have this, you have worries. If you have, it looks like this, you have other concerns. And it's okay. It's okay. If you stick to your values, work your ass off, you will be okay. How long it takes, I don't know. What's your biggest fear in life? It used to be death, mm -hmm. but I don't fear that anymore. My biggest fear in life is leaving this earth with music still playing within me. I want to leave and it's blank. I've given it my best shot. And I've left the most amazing legacy for my kids. That's a good one. You, a lot of the answers that you're saying are answers that I would give. It's absolutely awesome. Right. How long have we been talking for now? Half an hour. Half an hour, Half okay. Hour. I'm conscious that you've got a meeting I'm at, okay. We're at good. five. We're good. Okay, that's good. Um, are you okay with this? Yeah, it's awesome. A couple more questions, because you've been through so much in the past in terms of kind of when it comes to stress, and stress has obviously manifested itself in your in your life and in your body, which has resulted in, in illness, hence your heart attack. Have you put any strategies in place right now or since your heart attack in order to deal with stressful situations? And if so, what are they? I don't think consciously I put any strategies in place because then I have to change my personality. But subconsciously, you know, you get used to it. It's like if I keep smacking a certain area on my, on my wrist with my fingers, after about two or three weeks, that area becomes toughened. So... You know, we were talking about boxing earlier. If you keep punching a certain area in your stomach, that area will get toughened. So I think automatically, because I've always put my neck on the line, you know, and I've become used to stress. And Tony Robbins says the quality of your life depends on the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably live with. Stress has become part of my, my DNA. And whilst other people look at maybe half a day of my life thinking, I couldn't handle that. To me, I get a month of it. And it's okay. It's okay. I do get that, that it gets easier and easier to deal with. And you get to know how to manage it better. I know through, personally, I've been experiencing challenging situation for the past year. And initially, it consumed me. But over time, I've learned how to manage it. Like... If I know an email is going to say something that I, I don't want to, to read on a Thursday, I won't read it until Sunday or Monday, you know? Uh, why should it ruin your weekend when you can't do anything about exactly. it? Exactly. It's out of my control. Can't do anything about it. And I think all too often, it's like you say, 
you know, that Tony Robbins said, you know, life is all about the amount of certainty, the quality of your life is about the, you know, the amount of certainty that you can, uncertainty that you can deal with. And it's just learning how to deal with it effectively because it's always going to be there. It's never going to go away. And there might be one thing and then that might get better, but it will be replaced with something else. And I feel if we're reactive, we're reacting all the time, then that's when we're living on our hormones of stress. And then that's when that can be manifested into illness and disease. I think you're absolutely right. I look at it, I think, how bad can it get? People die and their spouses or family or peer group, whatever, they move on, they live their life. It can't get as bad as somebody passing, right? So, Mm. and also one thing I notice is breathing. I'm very conscious of my breathing when I'm stressed. So I trust, try to, no matter how much my chest may feel tight and pressure, Mm. because it's the whole weight of pressure is on your chest, I really focus on my breathing and make sure I try to get as much air in my lungs as possible. So on that note, Darius, I'd just like to say thank you. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest today and sharing part of your story with us. Just a little snippet, because I know that there's probably so much more that I haven't heard, but it's um, it has been very inspiring. And it's certainly, you know, for people that are are experiencing challenging situations that have got nothing it really just goes to show that with sheer determination and um, and pure will that you really can achieve whatever you set your mind to and that in itself is is very inspiring so thank you so much for being a guest today thank you Zoe I think if I if I may if I may just last words I think everything is about energy and vibrations if you are down, if you're low in life, if you go and see somebody, who, an investor or a prospect or a potential partner, make sure your energy is in desperation. Nobody invests in a desperate person. Make sure that that energy that you have is certainty, a desire, a focus. People invest in successful people, successful mindsets. So act as if, if you're going down a tube, if you're feeling low, act as if because that saved me i act as if i was the busiest sales and marketeer i was the busiest marketeer i was the busiest salesperson richest salesperson and you know what eventually it will come true but act as if you are because desperation serves you no good so when you're just one quick question sure. before we go so when you are on follow i can answer 10 questions but you want to finish this right i think i bored you no you haven't bored me but i'm <laughs> conscious that you said five o'clock no we're good Zoe. i'm we're respecting good. your time thank really. you ask as many as you want okay I can't remember what I was going to ask you now. I thought about desperation, energies. Yeah, now I was going to ask you a question following on from that, and I've forgotten what it was. And it doesn't matter how much I try and think about it, I'm not going to remember right now. And I probably will remember when The moment I, the microphone's gone. When, when I get out the room, yeah. I shouldn't have definitely. Interrupted, I'm Seeing as though we have got a little bit more time. So tell us about your, your routine. Um, what routines do you have? I noticed that... I'm very big on morning routine. That's like, amazing. For me, how you start your day sets your day. Mm. And, you know, I'm very interested in my guests' routine and, you know, how that impacts on their day. If they're big on morning routine. Are you part of the 5 a.m. club? Six. <laughs> what happens? At about 5.30. I wake up 5.30 in the morning. 
I realized that whilst I was busy building a business, I started neglecting my health and myself. So I looked in the mirror, suddenly I was 20 kilos heavier than I should have been. I, I started disliking the person I saw in the mirror in the, on the videos. And re, since really lockdown, I've got this massive diet and exercise. So my morning starts at 5.30. I'm blessed enough to live on the beach. So I walk to the end of the beach, I sit for half an hour, I meditate, and I run back or try to fast walk back to the gym. So from, let's say, 6.30 to 7.30, I'm in the gym. And I plan my day, come to work at 8. We have managers meeting at 8.30. I don't have to work, you know, 9 till 6. I try to vary it. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I go to the gym again. Because there's nothing more exciting than pumping iron in the gym achieving physical uh, well-being and knowing that your body can support your mind before i was out of breath i didn't like what i saw in the mirror and uh, you know we're working progress and as you get older your metabolism slows down so you got to work harder so i go to the gym twice a day and i have to watch what i eat and go in the evening, spend some time with my kids. Don't party, don't anything. I'll go on one date night a week with my wife mm-hmm. uh, to make it a special occasion. That's it, really. I love my holidays. I think um, the holidays are your main course. So you go out and uh, it's a dessert and a starter, but the moment you leave home to go somewhere else, away from your uh, current environment, And I really think that's helps. so important as well. And it's... And it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs these days do value. My father, I'll use him as an example, he, he's always been in business, but he doesn't believe in holidays. He would never, ever go on a holiday. And um, it's just something that he never did. And obviously, you and I know the benefit that he would get from, from doing that. And it, it's just so good now that I feel that a lot of entrepreneurs seem to have kind of progressed from that, oh, I don't need a holiday, you know, because it was almost like a cool thing to say back in the day, wasn't it? Oh, I don't need a holiday. I think in the old days, there was no internet. So when you left the office, you were out of touch. But now the modern CEO can be, there's cameras, online cameras, there can be Zoom calls. You can pretty much, especially now with the COVID crisis, you can pretty much run your office anywhere in the world, as long as there's not huge time differences. So I think technology has helped a lot. But one thing is you can't replace is the energy and the vibes when you enter the office and you can lift the, the team, the energy and inspiration you can bring to your company that you can never get on Zoom. 100%. How do you feel that Dubai has changed now? You know, when you came here, it was a similar time to when I arrived in Dubai. And like yourself, I had nothing and came here with nothing and built a very successful sales business in in financial services. You said earlier on that it was down to skill, but it wasn't. It was down to exactly what yours was down to, which was pure grit and determination and not wanting to give up that and being creative with marketing ideas. However... Things did change, you know, kind of economically there were changes. It was, there was a lot more opportunity back in 2009, 2010 than there is now. How, have you noticed that, that difference in terms of 
how you operate business and what impact does it had? You see, if you don't mind, I disagree. Because I think the population of Earth is growing, opportunity is growing. Mm -hmm. um, the population of Earth doubled since I was born. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. How many clients do I need to prosper? 500? 1,000? So when you look at the stats, and it's gone from 5 million to 2 million, it's terrible stats. But I still need 500 clients. So if you're prospecting and knocking on enough doors, you know, you know your unique selling proposition, you have belief in what you can do, how many clients do you need to really make money? So focus on the numbers you need. Stop listening to the noise. Mm -hmm. We're growing. Even through COVID, we're growing. Mm. We recruited eight new staff today. Mm -hmm. So if I, was, if I needed a million, let's say I was in a construction business and I need investors from all over the world to invest in my properties. Yes, of course. The flow of money and traffic has stopped. But I don't need that. I can reach my tentacles throughout the world using the internet. I can I have customers and prospects in Singapore, London, New York, Hong Kong. So I think the opportunities are greater than ever before. But it's just the noise is the biggest distraction. Just cut out the bullshit. Cut out the negativity. Because there's always some negativity about something. Because good news doesn't sell. So if I was coaching yourself, so how many members do you need to be really successful? A million? Not really. A thousand, possibly. So a thousand to two thousand or five hundred is not that big a difference. So economy or COVID or so shouldn't really make that much difference to your business, to all my business, because we're not large corporates, we're not governments. If that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you for your answer. And I like it when people disagree with me. Um, Darren, you're a podcaster yourself. What difference has that, if any, has it made to your business? It's two questions here. And who, out of anyone alive, live or dead, would you like of like to have interviewed? I know the answer to this question. <laughs> Muhammad I'm Ali. You, I know Muhammad the Ali. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, actually, I would have probably liked to have interviewed my dad. Okay. And asked him if he was proud of me. Wow. Sure, he would have been. I hope so. And what impact has podcasting had on your business? It was funny because three weeks ago, I'm sitting in a coffee shop waiting for my kids to finish trampolining, and a CEO of one of the largest companies in UAE came to me. I was like, What the hell does this guy want? And he goes, I've been a follower of yours for two years, and I love your podcasts, and let's do some work together. Awesome. Like, this is the guy that I would have been phoning and probably is this the manager of Imar? no Ema? somebody else no some people that pay oh, okay. <laughs> no no it's not a, a, a um, it's without saying too much it's a free zone mm -hmm. and they have access to over thirty-five thousand businesses all smes which is right up my street and he said he loves my story he loves my podcast and may may he sit with me in a restaurant in a coffee shop and I was so honored. And he's been chasing me to do business with me, which is really, you know, unheard of for a sales, sales guy. So once in a while, you get these little nuggets help you massively. But the whole idea is always that you've got to deliver, right? It can open the door, but we have to deliver. Yeah, it's all in the action. It's all about delivering value. That's wonderful. And I've remembered my question, and this is going to be the final question. 
how do you when you've got a lot of noise i know you said you have to cut out the noise when you have a lot of noise a lot of stress going on in the background but you have to perform you know you've got interviews to do you've got podcasts to do you you've got business deals how do you switch off i'm very interested personally because with a difficult situation i've got going on in the uk i've found that it's affected my confidence not only when i interview but you know just generally how do, how do you manage that burn your boats burn your boats what Make does that sure, mean okay julius caesar when he was a general he went to an island went over the hill with his soldiers and realized the enemy were far bigger than his so he said at night to his generals he said burn the boats so there's only one way out of this island because once my soldiers get over the hill and notice this is they're outnumbered they will always run back so what i do is i burn my but i don't give myself a second choice a chance an other option this is my only option and again it becomes second nature because what have you got to fear you know there's always somebody worse off than us yes and one thing that actually we spoke a couple of weeks ago is i learned from you was that try to focus on on greater things than yourself, a greater cause than yourself. When you are focusing on why me, poor me, everything, that self-pity, it's, it's horrible. It doesn't serve you. And it's not easy to say, but you know what? You're the only person. You came alone. You're going to go alone, right? Who's going to take care of you? Just you, right? So step up. Stop making excuses. 44-year-old guy in a new country with zero money and a really bad online reputation does well. You know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I didn't have silver spoon, nothing. Yes, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You certainly can do it. Young, presentable, smart, and your problems aren't a tenth as one of what. Sorry, I'm not trying to belittle your problems, but, you know, many people think they had, they wish they had your problems or mine. 100%. Yes? You know, like, I wasn't born in say, Bangladesh or somewhere where I'm trying to be a billionaire, but my locality of where I live is just totally screwing me up. Or the family I was born, it, it, all sorts of areas that you look at poverty, that we're blessed. We're blessed. So it's, at times of trouble, stop thinking about yourself, which I learned from you, and focus on the greater cause, which is serving others. 100%, yeah. And my friend has an all, another awesome way of looking at this as well. Like if he breaks his leg, you'd be, right, instead of complaining about breaking that leg, you'd be grateful that he didn't break two legs. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. always The worst of, situation, yeah. the worst scenario. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's hard to say, but always afterwards you go, thank God I went through that because it made me stronger. I think before my heart attack and all these troubles and, I was, I was quite weak as a man. I don't think I, was, I would have been appealing to a woman, you know, but I think I could be appealing because I stand up for my values. I stand up for what's right. Um, so I think I've become a more of an alpha male than I was before. But if I hadn't gone through my troubles, I think I would have been a weak person, a weak man. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest today. Thank you, Zoe. Namaste. Thank you so much. 